Chapter fifty of the Law and the Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wiebke Müller. The Law and the Lady by Wilkie Collins. Chapter fifty. The last of the story. In ten days more we returned to England, accompanied by Benjamin. Mrs. MacAllan's house in London offered us ample accommodation. We gladly availed ourselves of her proposal when she invited us to stay with her until our child was born and our plans for the future were arranged. The sad news from the asylum for which Benjamin had prepared my mind at Paris reached me soon after our return to England. Miserrimus Dexter's release from the burden of life had come to him by slow degrees. A few hours before he breathed his last, he rallied for a while and recognized Ariel at his bedside. He feebly pronounced her name and looked at her and asked for me. They thought of sending for me, but it was too late. Before the messenger could be dispatched, he said, with a touch of his old self-importance, Silence, all of you. My brains are weary. I'm going to sleep. He closed his eyes in slumber and never awoke again. So for this man, too, the end came mercifully, without grief or pain. So that strange and many-sided life, with its guilt and its misery, its fitful flashes of poetry and humour, its fantastic gaiety, cruelty and vanity, ran its destined course and faded out like a dream. Alas for Ariel! She had lived for the master. What more could she do now the master was gone? She could die for him. They had mercifully allowed her to attend the funeral of Miserrimus Dexter, in the hope that the ceremony might avail to convince her of his death. The anticipation was not realized. She still persisted in denying that the master had left her. They were obliged to restrain the poor creature by force when the coffin was lowered into the grave, and they could only remove her from the cemetery by the same means when the burial service was over. From that time her life alternated for a few weeks between fits of raving delirium and intervals of lethargic repose. At the annual ball given in the asylum, when the strict superintendence of the patients was in some degree relaxed, the alarm was raised a little before midnight that Ariel was missing. The nurse in charge had left her asleep and had yielded to the temptation of going downstairs to look at the dancing. When the woman returned to her post, Ariel was gone. The presence of strangers and the confusion incidental to the festival offered her facilities for escaping which would not have presented themselves at any other time. That night the search for her proved to be useless. The next morning brought with it the last touching and terrible tidings of her. She had strayed back to the burial ground, and she had been found towards sunrise, dead of cold and exposure on Miserrimus Dexter's grave. Faithful to the last, Ariel had followed the master, Faithful to the last, Ariel had died on the master's grave. Having written these sad words, I turn willingly to a less painful theme. Events had separated me from Major Fitzdavid after the date of the dinner-party which had witnessed my memorable meeting with Lady Clorinda. From that time I heard little or nothing of the Major, and I am ashamed to say I had almost entirely forgotten him, when I was reminded of the modern Don Juan by the amazing appearance of wedding-cards addressed to me at my mother-in-law's house. The Major had settled in life at last, and, more wonderful still, the Major had chosen, as the lawful ruler of his household and himself, the future queen of song, the round-eyed, overdressed young lady with a strident soprano voice. 
we paid our visit of congratulations in due form and we really did feel for major fitz david the ordeal of marriage had so changed my gay and gallant admirer of former times that i hardly knew him again he had lost all his pretensions to youth he had become hopelessly and undisguisedly an old man standing behind the chair on which his imperious young wife sat enthroned he looked at her submissively between every two words that he addressed to me as if he waited for her permission to open his lips and speak whenever she interrupted him and she did it over and over again without ceremony he submitted with a senile docility and admiration at once absurd and shocking to see isn't she beautiful he said to me in his wife's hearing what a figure and what a voice you remember her voice it's a loss my dear lady an irretrievable loss to the operatic stage do you know when i think what that grand creature might have done i sometimes ask myself if i really had any right to marry her i feel upon my honour i feel as if i had committed a fraud on the public as for the favoured object of this quaint mixture of admiration and regret she was pleased to receive me graciously as an old friend while eustace was talking to the major the bride drew me aside out of her hearing and explained her motives for marrying with a candour which was positively shameless you see we're a large family at home quite unprovided for this odious young woman whispered in my ear it's all very well about my being a queen of song and the rest of it lord bless you i've been often enough to the opera and i've learned enough of my music-master to know what it takes to make a fine singer i haven't the patience to work at it as those foreign women do a parcel of brazen-faced jezebels i hate them no no between you and me it was a great deal easier to get the money by marrying the old gentleman here i am provided for and there's all my family provided for too and nothing to do but to spend the money i'm fond of my family i'm a good daughter and sister i am see how i'm dressed look at the furniture i haven't played my cards badly have i it's a great advantage to marry an old man you can twist him round your little finger happy oh yes i'm quite happy and i hope you are too where are you living now i shall call soon and have a long gossip with you i always had a sort of liking for you and now i'm as good as you are i want to be friends i made a short and civil reply to this determining inwardly that when she did visit me she should get no further than the house door i don't scruple to say that i was thoroughly disgusted with her when a woman sells herself to a man that vile bargain is none the less infamous to my mind because it happens to be made under the sanction of the church and the law as i sit at the desk thinking my picture of the major and his wife vanishes from my memory and the last scene in my story comes slowly into view the place is my bedroom the persons both if you will be pleased to excuse them in bed are myself and my son he is already three weeks old and he is now lying fast asleep by his mother's side my good uncle starkweather is coming to london to baptize him mrs macallan will be his godmother and his godfathers will be benjamin and mr playmore i wonder whether my christening will pass off more merrily than my wedding the doctor has just left the house and some little perplexity about me he has found me reclining as usual latterly in my armchair but on this particular day he has detected symptoms of exhaustion which he finds quite unaccountable under the circumstances and which warn him to exert his authority by sending me back to bed the truth is that i have not taken the doctor into my confidence there are two causes for those signs of exhaustion which have surprised my medical attendant and the names of them are anxiety and suspense 
on this day i have at last summoned courage enough to perform the promise which i made to my husband in paris he is informed by this time how his wife's confession was discovered he knows on mr playmore's authority that the letter may be made the means if he so will it of publicly vindicating his innocence in a court of law and last and most important of all he is now aware that the confession itself has been kept a sealed secret from him out of compassionate regard for his own peace of mind as well as for the memory of the unhappy woman who was once his wife these necessary disclosures i have communicated to my husband not by word of mouth when the time came i shrank from speaking to him personally of his first wife but by a written statement of the circumstances taken mainly out of my letters received in paris from benjamin and mr playmore he has now had ample time to read all that i have written to him and to reflect on it in the retirement of his own study i am waiting with the fatal letter in my hand and my mother-in-law is waiting in the next room to me to hear from his own lips whether he decides to break the seal or not the minutes pass and we still fail to hear his footsteps on the stairs my doubts as to which way his decision may turn affect me more and more uneasily the longer i wait the very possession of the letter in the present excited state of my nerves oppresses and revolts me i shrink from touching it or looking at it i move it about restlessly from place to place on the bed and still i cannot keep it out of my mind at last an odd fancy strikes me i lift up one of the baby's hands and put the letter under it and so associate that dreadful record of sin and misery with something innocent and pretty that seems to hallow and to purify it the minutes pass the half-hour longer strikes from the clock on the chimney-piece and at last i hear him he knocks softly and opens the door he's deadly pale i fancy i can detect traces of tears on his cheeks but no outward signs of agitation escape him as he takes his seat by my side i can see that he has waited until he could control himself for my sake he takes my hand and kisses me tenderly valeria he says let me once more ask you to forgive what i said and did in the bygone time if i understand nothing else my love i understand this the proof of my innocence has been found and i owe it entirely to the courage and the devotion of my wife i wait a little to enjoy the full luxury of hearing him say those words to revel in the love and the gratitude that moisten his dear eyes as they look at me then i rouse my resolution and put the momentous question on which our future depends do you wish to see the letter eustace instead of answering directly he questions me in his turn have you got the letter here yes sealed up sealed up he waits a little considering what he is going to say next before he says it let me be sure that i know exactly what it is i have to decide he proceeds suppose i insist on reading the letter there i interrupt him i know it is my duty to restrain myself but i cannot do my duty my darling don't talk of reading the letter pray pray spare yourself he holds up his hand for silence i am not thinking of myself he says i am thinking of my dead wife if i give up the public vindication of my innocence in my own lifetime if i leave the seal of the letter unbroken do you say as mr playmore says that i shall be acting mercifully and tenderly toward the memory of my wife oh eustace there cannot be the shadow of a doubt of it shall i be making some little atonement for any pain that i may have thoughtlessly caused her to suffer in her lifetime yes yes and valeria shall i please you 
my darling you will enchant me where is the letter in your son's hand eustace he goes round to the other side of the bed and lifts the baby's little pink hand to his lips for a while he waits so in sad and secret communion with himself i see his mother softly open the door and watch him as i am watching him in a moment more our suspense is at an end with a heavy sigh he lays the child's hand back again on the sealed letter and by that one little action says as if in words to his son i leave it to you and so it ends not as i thought it would end not perhaps as you thought it would end what do we know of our own lives what do we know of the fulfilment of our dearest wishes god knows and that is best must i shut up the paper yes there is nothing more for you to read or for me to say except this as a postscript don't bear hardly good people on the follies and the errors of my husband's life abuse me as much as you please but pray think kindly of eustace for my sake end of chapter fifty end of the ruined the lady by wilkie collins